Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Mike Boyle. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Mike onto the show. So, Mike Boyle, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. I love, uh, I'm, I've become a huge podcast fan. It's such a great way to, to just interact with people that you've, you've never met in countries, in some cases that you've never been to, although I have been to the UK, so. I'm, I'm currently in the Netherlands, so if you can take that one off the list Oh, as you're well. in the Netherlands. Okay, yeah. I have actually been to the Netherlands. I went to the Netherlands to the uh, Papendal. The, um, ah, that's where I work. Do you? Okay, yeah. yeah. I was there years ago. They had a, um, and I don't know if he's still there, they had a U.S. guy who was uh, running strength and conditioning for speed skating, and I went out there for a couple of days and did some teaching. God, I, it might have been, could have been 2005. God, it was a long time ago. That's uh, unfortunately uh, before I even thought about doing a degree, um, but uh, that was uh, that was much before my time. Um, but what did you think of uh, of Papanar when you were there? Oh, I loved it. It was beautiful. It's amazing. Like I said, it's uh, there's as Americans, I think we can be incredibly narrow. <laughs> Just it's our nature, and to see that much space is what I thought was really interesting. You know what I mean? Like you realize, like you think of the Netherlands, small country, you know, and then you go out there and it's kind of this beautiful wooded area. And it just is, uh, it's, it's always an education. Uh, it's uh, it's certainly a very nice place to work. I can, uh, I can tell you that. And we can get into the wooded areas for a 10 minute walk uh, when we've got a little bit of time between sessions. It's uh, certainly a nice place to be, but uh, we're not here to talk about me and, and the fact that I'm lucky to have a good job. Um, we're here to discuss some unilateral training, but first things first, uh, Mike Boyle, can you introduce yourself? Who are you and what have you been up to in life until now? So I am 61 years old. I've been a strength and conditioning coach for 40 years. Actually, I was, um, I jokingly talk about now I was sort of pre-computer and I was really pre-strength and conditioning coach when I was in college. I don't even know if this was a dream or an idea or what it was, but um, so I think I'm one of the real first generation people in the business. Now I'm, I, I own a, I guess what would be considered a private sports performance business, but it's become bigger than that in terms of we, we train adults, we train kids, we train athletes and we're a little bit, we're 20 minutes north of Boston. I also, I speak, I write. I got a lot of little irons in the fire here as we go. So if you have one one word to describe your, yourself, are you a strength and conditioning coach? Are you a, a sport yes, performance I'm, guy? What are I'm, you? I'm, a, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. Fantastic. So in terms of uh, our discussion topics today, we've got some stuff on unilateral training. And I know you're, you've delved into this extensively throughout your career. So can you give us a, a quick 30-second introduction as to what it is and why it's important? Well, I think unilateral training is literally training on one leg. 
And what it really is, I think, is training in the way that we move there. I've said this a million times on a million podcasts, but rowing is really the only sport where we do something consistently bilateral with our lower body. So I've always talked about, you know, I obviously my book was about functional training. That's another long story, but I've always said that functional training is training that makes sense. And it's the application of functional anatomy to training. And we know that anatomically things are different when we're on one leg and that's indisputable. But I think what we're also beginning to realize now is that we're stronger on one leg. We're more powerful on one leg. And I've been saying that for a really long time without a significant amount of science to support what I believe. But I think that both the science and the empiricism are really starting to support what we've been saying for, I don't know, 15 years. So in terms of what the, what the science does then say, like what, what does unilateral training provide you, which bilateral training doesn't? Well, if you look at the concept of bilateral deficit, I mean, there, well, there's two things. Let's go back a step. One thing it provides you is it uses the muscles in the way you use them in sport. So if we simply think about the way kind of the hip and the pelvis and the spine work in um, unilateral stance, it's different than it is in bilateral stance. You know, you're, what your adductors do, what your quadratus lumborum does, what your glute medius does, all these things are different in unilateral stance than they are in bilateral stance. So in bilateral stance, you're training in a very, very non-specific traditional sort of way. When you get into unilateral training, you know, the, the biggest thing is you look at this bilateral deficit idea and you realize in bilateral deficit was studied years ago. And they looked at things like leg extension and hand grip dynamometry. And what they saw was that the summed total of right plus left generally exceeded the sum total of the two together in, in any of these studies that they did. And we're seeing that more and more now with unilateral lower body training where people are just moving incredible amounts of weight on one leg that are really difficult to explain if you're like a bilateral believer, I feel like bilateral is sort of like old time religion. You know, there's people who just don't want to give up this really strong feeling that they have about bilateral training and, and they're willing to just deny science in order to stay grounded in something that they believe strongly in. So when, when you then look at bilateral training, um, obviously that there has to be some advantages. What advantages do you think there are? in bilateral compared to unilateral? Um, I don't think there's many, to be honest. I, I, I would almost go so far as to say none, but I think it is good for beginners because from a coordinated standpoint, some of the unilateral stuff is too difficult for beginners to be able to master. So I think bilateral is a really good place to start. I just think the problem with bilateral is that we, we begin to pursue strength for strength's sake. We become strength coaches and you know, all of a sudden it's about how much someone can squat or how much somebody can deadlift. And the, the harsh reality of that is there's a, there's a point in time and we can argue where that is, you know, two times body weight, whatever it is, where just the pursuit of strength becomes less significant or less important anyway. And then when you get into kind of the, the specificities, functionality, however you want to, whatever term you want to use, as I've said in, you know, I put it very simply in my book, it is simply training that makes sense. This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market developed by the team at Gymware. 
Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. And when we look at things like uh, like strength, you mentioned force outputs and that kind of stuff. Um, does unilateral consistently then hold up against bilateral? Uh, I think it consistently outperforms. If you really look at the if you look at the data, which again people don't want to do. The thing that we get now is that, as I said, the bilateral people are so religiously attached to this to their idea that they don't want to look at the other idea. They don't want to explore the other idea. They, they simply want to try to discredit the idea. The good thing is, and I was talking about, you know, there's the, um, the old quote about, you know, three stages of an idea. You know, first it is um, ridiculed, then it's accepted, and then it's, you know, it was always oh, my idea before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, I've gone from ridicule where I was the laughing stock of the strength and conditioning world in some people's minds in 2005 when I said we're not doing bilateral stuff anymore to now everybody's like, yeah, everybody does it. What are you talking about? You know, it's it's common, common sense, common knowledge. Um, and that shows you that that idea has gone through the stages, right? It's It's become accepted to the point where people think, you know, who doesn't believe this? But you still have you know, the guys, like I said, what I would call the science deniers who are just loading people up. And when we started doing it, the funny thing is we initially did it as a kind of an injury avoidance mechanism. We just were seeing too much low back pain from, you know, all of the heavy squatting that we were doing. And we began to pursue unilateral training from that angle. But then as we began to understand the whole bilateral deficit idea, we started to realize, you know, like I saw our people, um, you know, routinely handling weights on one leg that I just couldn't, I couldn't account for scientifically in my head. Why is this happening? You know, why do I have guys who can, um, you know, split squat 280 pounds for reps who can only front squat 300 pounds for reps? You know what I mean? Like we were just seeing things that, that weren't adding up in our conventionally trained mind. But the more that we explored it, the more we realized that this I always say, if you think about the body, the body is made to be unilateral. It's made to be diagonal. It's it's designed really, really well to do that. You know, jump off your left hand, you or jump off your left leg, use your right hand, jump off your right leg, use your left hand. Like you're beautifully designed diagonally. And there's some people in the bilateral deficit research that said your body will intentionally not get strong when you're doing bilateral work because the body finds it neurologically confusing. You know, you're, you're providing really high level inputs that the body kind of looks at and says, well, wait a second, this doesn't, you know, why, why are they doing this? Doesn't even make sense. So I think there's really a lot of science and there'll be more and more science to come. And eventually, you know, I always, I joke about this, but eventually people will look at me and be like, wow, Mike Boyle was right. I used to think he was such, you know, I have a group of guys now I call me, I used to think Mike Boyle was a pussy club and, you know, (laughs) they're all the young guys who used to make fun of me when I first had this idea who've now come over to kind of to my side of the fence. And a lot of them, it's really funny because I've done podcasts with a bunch of these guys and they all apologize. They're like, Oh my God, the things I said about you in 2005 (laughs) and, you know, um, and, and now I've, you know, I've gone through the process myself and realized that most of them went through the process themselves personally, physically. And, you know, 
dealt with you know back pain and hip issues and all these things and then realized oh i think i kind of see what mike was getting at you know from an injury prevention standpoint and then when they start to explore it with their athletes they're like holy shit excuse my language but (laughs) i can't believe the amount of i can't believe the amount of weight you know and we've had this one of my uh one of my former um interns guy named devin mcconnell who's now director of performance for the um Arizona Coyotes in the NHL, but I mean, he had his college guys, like they were, they were doing, you know, hand assisted. So kind of Hatfield style split squats, but they would, he had guys doing 500 pounds. Like, I mean, I said, like, I have videos of guys that looked like, you know, breaking a stick, like, boop, you know, guys <laughs> down and up. I mean, literally effortless with 500 pounds. And there were years in the past when I thought if we had guys that could do that same, you know, Hatfield squat with, you know, two hands and two feet and could do 500 pounds like that, I would have been happy. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, the, the evidence continues to mount. And, you know, and the good thing for me, I don't care. Like I could care less if people don't believe me. I'm not, I, I, am I out to change the world? Yes. But am I, do I care if there are people who don't? No. You know, if people want to stick to the way they're doing it, I always feel like from a, you know, from a performance and athletic standpoint, it's better for the people that train with us if other people don't embrace a better idea. So, <laughs> so I, I could comfortably kind of sit with that. And uh, interestingly off the back of that, right? You, you mentioned some lower body exercises. Um, what would you then go for, for upper body? Because it seems, uh, yeah, intuitively that you go for a bench or a bench row variation um, as a bilateral upper body exercise. What would you then, what kind of things are you looking for in upper body? It's interesting because it doesn't seem to apply as much to upper body and we've kind of bantered, you know, bandied around the idea. Why isn't, why aren't we seeing this with upper body and we're not one of the reasons may be that we've spent so much time on, you know, chin ups and bench press and things like that, that it will take a long time to, to get people comfortable enough to be able to handle it. But it's, uh, I, you know, we don't tend to do as much say, you know, one dumbbell bench press, although we do it. And part of the reason too, I think there's a really big kind of balance component to trying to get somebody to be able to get on a bench with one really heavy dumbbell that might actually equal half of their um, bench press capability and be able to actually handle that in that position. And I don't know, I mean, the limiting factors may not really be the pressing musculature as much as it is kind of the ability to stay on the bench or, you know, you're, your ability to stabilize with your core. I don't know, but we, we haven't seen it as um, readily in upper body. I think it's, it's certainly interesting. Um, and potentially, yeah, maybe you need to pull at the same time as push to, to get some kind of stability. Maybe you need to have some kind of hand assisted position, but that's an absolute pain in the ass to, to make. So yeah, it's uh, it's certainly interesting to see that lower body then has some kind of different uh, structure and function compared to the upper body at least in the populations that, that we've seen so far. Yeah, well, I, th- I think if, if we wanted to get sort of, you know, whatever scientific developmental about it, I think we've been doing bilateral power things with our lower body for a really long time, you know, in terms of, you know, kind of jumping skills types things. But I don't think we've been doing the upper body types of strength development things that we do now or even upper body, you know, power, strength, 
in a, you know, in a pure unilateral nature, like it's not like, you know, everybody ran, but everybody didn't throw the shot put, I guess would be my example. Everybody ran, but everybody didn't throw the javelin. And so I think there may be developmentally a difference in terms of how geared neuromuscularly the body is for lower body things versus upper body things. That's just me thinking out loud though. No, I think it's uh, super interesting and it's definitely, uh, it's great to hear your thoughts on it. Um, so when you come to then planning a, a periodization or a, a training plan, for example, um, how do you then get the best out of your unilateral training? How do you, how do you then go about your planning? Well, this is great. So have you been exposed to Alex Natera's stuff? I've been kind of tweeting and Instagramming about Alex for the last uh, six months to a year. And the thing that Alex did that was really interesting, and this is, um, I, I don't know if you have read range by David Epstein, but, um, yeah. In, we had, we had him on the podcast, by the way. That's a, that's oh, a great yeah. link. As, as, if, as if we planned that. That's brilliant. So check out Perfect. the podcast with David Epstein. No, I'm going to carry yes, on. Please. Sorry. Shameless plug. Where to go. <laughs> but, um, you got to get Alex Natera on too. because So Epstein talks about this idea of undiscovered connections in his book. That was one of the things about the book that I really liked. And in the idea of undiscovered connections, Alex Natera was trying to figure out these kind of bilateral, unilateral comparisons and one of the things that he did was trying to figure out segmental weights of the body. And he ended up with a 19, I think, 55 study of pilots where they were looking at what percentage of your body was in the seat of the plane. And basically, the, the conclusion was that 68% of your body weight was in the seat. So Alex went out and said, OK, you know, when we get to unilateral training, because people were always arguing about, like, you know, how much weight do you actually have? How much does your lot of the leg contribute? Blah, 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 blah. Suddenly, Alex said, okay, they got this pilot study. 68% of the body weight is um, your torso, your arms. Meaning, logically, 32% is your lower body, your legs. Meaning, when you stand on one leg, you're basically minus 16%. So, you end up in a situation where you've got 84% of your body when you do a one-leg squat. And Alex went on to then kind of prove and he does a great like it's a it's an example that's much better in terms of um european but he gives the example of a hundred kilo guy squatting a hundred kilos and uh you know he says you know a hundred kilo guy is squatting a hundred kilos and basically you know he's got a total weight of 200 kilos if we wanted to get a total weight you know at 200 kilos would be 100 kilos per leg right if we said that you know 100 kilo body weight 100 kilo on the bar that would basically mean 100 kilos on each leg if that guy stands on one leg, he has 84 kilos, <laughs> you know? And so his thing was that a guy who can handle 50% of his body weight in a one-legged squat, or, you know, we've expanded that to what we call skater squat, some other ideas, but 50% of your body weight then equals a double body weight squat because it equals that 200 kilo squat. And I think he said hundred percent of your body weight ends up giving you a triple body weight squat. So, the reason I say this is when we start periodizing now, what we're trying to do is we're chasing those numbers. So we want guys to be pushing to get 50% of their body weight in these unilateral, pure unilateral exercises. He also went on, he did a really good presentation for us in the shameless plug category for our winter seminar. And it's now on our MBSC TV site, or it will be at some point soon on this whole idea. And he went into the idea of, okay, how much I think he said, like split squat, you know, you get about 68% of the weight versus 100% of the weight, um, you know, because of the back leg and the rear foot elevated split squat. I think it goes to 84% of the weight again. And, you know, it's, and I can't give you all the math, but um, 
I can give you the pure unilateral math and let you know that our idea is to get to 50% of body weight. So if we want a guy who's, you know, if we get a guy who weighs, you know, in our, in our world, 200 pounds, which is, you know, relatively close to your 200 kilo guy, but it gives you the simple math. We want that guy to be, when he can do a one leg squat with a hundred pounds, he's real strong. He's double body weight strong. So that's what we're chasing. And then we chase it the same way. You know, we chase it through our periodization in terms of phase one is kind of a, um, you know, a higher rep anatomical adaptation sort of phase. Phase two is a lower rep strength type phase. Then we move into, you know, we might do some isometric emphasis or some eccentric emphasis or some complex type training, but we pursue these unilateral lifts, basically things like slideboard lunge, skater squat, one leg squat, rear foot elevated split squat, one leg straight leg deadlift. We pursue them like they were the back squat. We pursue them for numbers. And I think that's where a lot of people fail and that they view them as, oh, they're accessories, they're assistants, whatever. Just kind of do whatever when you do it. Is that too much? <laughs> no, no, that's absolutely perfect. I, um, what do you then mean by uh, pure unilateral? Do you mean no support from the, the right. back leg, for exactly. example, no support yes. from the hands? Pure, pure unilateral would be a pure unilateral, a one-leg squat, you know, where you're standing strictly on that leg. And we have a bunch of different versions of that, but that would be the basic idea. Whereas things like split squat, rear foot elevated split squat, and even step up would not be considered pure unilateral because you would have some sort of assistance from the other leg. And that's, like I said, Alex in his presentation goes into really how much assistance, like one of the things he said is that step ups are a good beginner exercise because they, it's almost 50, 50 the way that it works out because your bottom leg can't help, but help you trying to push yourself up through. So, you know, it's sort of, sort of like you would go, if you're thinking difficulty, you might go step up, split squat, rear foot elevated split squat, one leg squat in terms of being able to move through it. And we will do that with more of a beginner or an adult, you know, someone who just can't pop up and do a one leg squat. But with our higher level athletes, we'll start right with a unsupported one leg squat and we'll try to relatively quickly introduce loading into that, you know, we're using chains now for loading just because of COVID. We had to kind of ditch our weight vests because they were, um, they get, they absorbed a lot of sweat mm. and, uh, our chains don't absorb sweat. So, you know, we're kind of combining chains and dumbbells and different things to, to get the loading that we're looking for. I think it's uh, super interesting. It's great to hear how you apply things as well and move through different phases. Um, and in terms of uh, time we're pushed, so I want to ask you the most difficult question that we can find, and that is, what is the one thing that you see or do differently which the rest of the world can learn from? <laughs> I thought about this. You asked me. Luckily for you, you cheat and send the questions in advance. But <laughs> you know what the one thing I do differently? I keep learning. I don't get to a place and decide, okay, I don't, and put my flag in the ground and say, okay, I'm here. And that's why we're doing unilateral training. That's why we're doing the speed training that we're doing. Because at 61, I haven't given up on learning. I have not sort of deemed myself to be all-knowing. And I think there's a lot of people in our profession who they reach a certain point and then they're like, I'm done. I have a philosophy. I have what I believe in and I'm not changing shit, you know. And I think that's what we've done, the people that I've surrounded myself with really differently collectively. And how, uh, just, just off the back of that, how do you then find the time to do all of the things that you do? Um, which is a lot if we move back to the, the, the start of the show. Um, how do you find the time to do all of that and then still get all of the learning that you, you want to get done too? Well, one, you get up early. <laughs> Two, 
you use your commuting time. So, you know, for instance, I was listening to your podcast with Jake on my way into work. And uh, I think you have to be a good time manager. And then three, you surround yourself with really good people. So you can do like, I do less and less of the day to day nuts and bolts work. I coach when I want and I coach the people that I want and I coach kind of at the times that I want to coach and I can spend, um, you know, the, the rest of the, uh, I can spend, spend the rest of the time learning. Just, you know, I can sit, I get up, I was up at five o'clock this morning and I'll sit from five until eight sometimes just playing around on my computer, reading stuff, looking at things, thinking about things, you know, looking at Twitter, whatever, you know, and trying to stimulate my brain. I think that's uh, an absolutely fantastic life lesson. So Mike, massive thanks for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. I appreciate you reaching out so that we can do this. Uh, The uh, pleasure is, of course, all mine, but uh, thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Mike for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our seven-day free trial of the Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is a series of mini lectures broken down for you into bite-sized chunks. And those lectures span a range of different topics. A particular interest to today's podcast could be, for example, strength training and periodization. So all you have to do to check out the Coach Academy and get your seven days for free is click the link in the show notes and you can get hold of those lectures broken down to that into bite-sized chunks, which you can fit around your busy coaching schedule in just a few seconds time. And also before you leave, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button and that means that you won't miss out on next week's fantastic guest. So that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.